This is Sermon Smith, a bi-weekly conversation about the craft of sermon preparation, and my name is John Chandler. My guest today is Luke Norsworthy. Luke, you might be familiar with because he also has a podcast called Newsworthy with Norsworthy, where he regularly interviews some great guests. And I only recently ran across it, and I was listening, and I realized he's a pastor too. So because I've liked to cross podcasts a few times, I thought this would be a great one. Luke is a church planner and pastor of the Venture Community in the Dallas area. Just a really thoughtful guy. I picked up on that as I was listening to his podcast and the questions he asked and the conversations he has and knew that would come out to get him on the other side of the mic, so to speak. The sponsor for today's conversation could be you. I've started a campaign at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash sermonsmith. The idea of Patreon, and I would recommend you look at it not even just for Sermonsmith, but for lots of great things. The idea of Patreon is that it's a modern-day way to become a patron of the arts. If somebody's making great content, great art of some kind, and you want to support their work, you can pledge through Patreon. And so the way that works with Sermonsmith is you can sign up and say that you'll pledge X number of dollars for each one that we publish, and then they automatically uh, bill your account once a month based on however many episodes, which at this point we are maintaining two episodes a month. So if you're interested in that, if you'd be willing to support the show and some of the costs for the server and the website and my time, I'd be really appreciative of that. Patreon.com slash Sermonsmith. Thanks so much. And here's our conversation with Luke Norsworth. Let's do it. Let's do it. So this is fun because this is, I, I think this is actually the third time I have had another podcaster who's also a preacher on the podcast because I had, uh, quite a while ago, I had Chad Brooks from The Productive Pastor, and then I okay. had uh, the guys from a podcast called Pulpit Fiction. I don't know if you either know no, either of those. Pulpit Fiction is a great name. They do great work, yeah. It's a great, well, I don't know about their work, but their name is great. <laughs> it is a great name. Actually, <laughs> and then I flipped it around because... One time I had my friend Shane Blackshear, who does oh, yeah. Seminary, Seminary Dropout, Dropout, interview yeah. me. So actually, this would be the fourth, fourth time, time where I've I've crossed podcast streams. I like – isn't uh, the Seminary Dropout guy – isn't he an Austin guy too? He, he is. He is, yeah. I have email with him, but I've never really talked to him. Yeah, he's a good guy. I see him from time to time. Well, good. And he seems like he's got a great beard. We'd be if he If he came to our church, we'd be really good friends. But since he doesn't, we're not. <sighs> and that – I'm like this – I say that because I want what I just said to be in the podcast. So that will definitely be in the podcast. <laughs> I want him to hear that. <laughs> and he does have a great beard. Good. Um, but anyway, so I, I say all that as a really long uh, introduction to say I'm with Luke Norsworthy. Who? I, so, Luke, I ran across your podcast only recently, and it looks like you've been doing it since 1997. But I just, It is 1997. I, I was four years old when I, I started. Just, I just recently <laughs> found it, but then in the midst of interviewing or listening to some of them, I realized, hey, he's a pastor too, so I'll have him on my podcast. Yeah, like it's my real job. Like my real job is a real, pastor. Your real job. So it's, that said, well, at the end, I'll let you talk a little bit about your podcast, but let's talk about your church. Talk about the context of where you are. Yeah, well, I planted a church. I, I moved back from... I was living in Florida, and I moved back, I think, a week and a half after my oldest daughter was born, and that she's now going to be seven in August. And so we've been back in Texas where I went to – my wife's from Texas. I went to uh, undergrad and did my seminary stuff in Texas as well. 
uh, to work in this church uh, north of Dallas, a town called Denton, and it is a church that um, it's uh, it's a church plant. We've been doing it for for this long, and uh, got a good group of people. And um, you know, the great thing about this church is these are my friends, and it's a really fun environment to preach in. I know this conversation is going to be preaching focused, and so it's uh, it's a small church, but it's a it's a church that uh, enables you to enables me to have a lot of freedom, flexibility to uh, to not feel like I need to pontificate a whole lot, but just be able to talk real and have good conversations uh, on Sunday morning. And I know you come from a Church of Christ background. Is this church a Church of Christ? Uh, well, it's instrumental and it's egalitarian, and the polity is not Church of Christ. But we take communion every week, so that's very Church of Christ. And, <laughs> okay, and we're we're a big fan of baptism, and so that's a Church of Christ thing. But uh, no, there no, there's no denominational. I think that's called cafeteria Church of Christ. So cafeteria, <laughs> really? I've never heard that before. You pick and choose what you want. I've heard it about cafeteria Catholics or some so there's some kind of like terminology that. like I've that. I've heard that before. No, the thing about Churches of Christ, and you know this because you're you know background is in Christian church, which is like a, a cousin for those who aren't familiar with our restoration movement. Right. But it is a denomination that prides itself on not being a denomination. And so our mother church is this six or 7,000 member multi-site, you know, mega church that if you walk in on Sunday morning, you would assume this is just your, you know, your run of the mill community Bible church kind of thing. Cause it's, you know, big band and lights and on the big stage. Uh, the only thing that would be peculiar is that they, they take communion every week as well. And so every, like, Church of Christ is, is different. There are some churches that are egalitarian like ours is, some that are the antithesis of that. Um, so there's, there's just a, a, a wide range of churches you include when you say you're from the Churches of Christ. Right, right. And do you, so how often do you preach? Are you on every week? On, on Sunday? No, yeah. like, do you <laughs> preach every week pretty much? Yeah, 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 every week. I'd probably... Probably do forty six or seven a year, something like that. And and are you full time? Because I mean, you're doing this podcast, yeah. which has to take some time. So are you full time with the church? Yeah, no, 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 no. The church is my full time job. Yeah, and, okay. Uh, I think the podcast, and this is how I, how I've articulated to others before, is that the podcast in some ways functions as like a Bible class for our church because we do Sunday morning and then we do small groups during the week, and that's it. And so there are some people who come from traditions that they are used to having more like teaching or content given to them, but I don't think people really go to like a Sunday morning Bible class or Wednesday night class like they used to, but they still want that content. And so the way I've like kind of positioned what our podcast is, is that this is that resource for you. It's the same content, but you just have a different medium to receive it in. Hmm. And so that's how I feel like the podcast fits within my bigger job. Plus I use my podcast, honestly, to crowdsource my sermons. Like I did a series on prayer and I did a podcast with Brian Zahn, who I know has been on your show, right? Yep, yeah. And then Chris Green, who's a Pentecostal professor, and he's more than just a professor. He's a good preacher. Talked to Richard Rohr, and John Ortberg's book had come out a couple months before. And so my like eight-week series on prayer, in a lot of ways, was <laughs> like I did the back work for it on the podcast. That's cheating. And, well, you know what? Don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that makes sense because it's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to have something like that and have it feed into what you actually do as your job. Yeah. I've got a buddy named Jonathan who blogs a year in advance for what he's going to preach on. And so he's starting to work through the ideas, puts it on his blog. And then a year later, his people have forgotten what he blogged about at his church. And so he can preach it like it's new material. And nice. I, it, it was, it was that idea. Actually, I name dropped interviewed N.T. Wright, and Jonathan <laughs> came with me, and 
he was talking to me about that and I thought, man, that made so much sense. And so I tried to start kind of organizing the podcast around my preaching. Yeah. That's a good plan. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll talk more about that because okay. uh, we'll get into your deep, deep, uh, prep that, <laughs> that I, that you sent me a little bit ahead of time and you don't mess around. So that's hey. a tease. That's a tease. <laughs> well done. Well done, sir. Um, how would you, so all that being said, I mean, you have church of Christ sensibilities. How, how would you say that, or how would you describe the role of preaching then in the life of your congregation now? Well, and by church Christ sensibilities, you mean I'm definitely going to heaven. That's really <laughs> yeah. what it means. Is that what it means? Yeah, that's exactly. No, the churches of Christ, I think as a tradition, we create good preachers. And obviously I'm very biased to that because I am one of them. And these guys are all my friends. But I, in the churches of Christ, they, I don't think that we necessarily make um, the best leaders. Like we don't have a polity that creates a conducive environment for, for leadership gifts to typically be used. But what we do have is a lot of focus on uh, the Bible. And I remember talking, name drop number two, uh, talking with Richard Rohr or his executive director after I was uh, out in Albuquerque talking with him. And there was some conversation about how much, you know, some people from certain traditions can just quote the Bible. And like it was a big deal from someone from a Catholic background to hear that. And I thought, like, all of my preacher friends can do that very thing you're, you're talking about as though it's like this unique thing. And so our tradition, um, I mean, it's, there's a lot of focus on the preaching aspect. And so, uh, in terms of like what I think it is, I, I, I think Sunday morning you, you break the bread and you, you, you celebrate Eucharist and you, you open the word and hear from, from God through that. So I think it's a, it's a central part of what, what the church life, uh, revolves around. You, you almost feel like what you try to create is, you know, cause sometimes I'll talk to people and it's very obvious that they see preaching as something that's pointing to Eucharist. And sometimes I'll talk to people and it's very, uh, evident that, you know, they see the preaching of the word as central to their Sunday. It sounds like you almost see those two as kind of orbiting around each other. Yeah. If I can nerd it up for a second, like, you know, Wesley had his quadrilateral thing, like the, the, the stool with four legs that, what is it? Uh, experience, reason, tradition, scripture, whatever. Uh, like when I see Sunday morning, I think of like a, a two legged, I guess it's three, but I think like the, the big parts of what you do on Sunday morning is you open the word and you, you, you go to the table. And I don't, uh, maybe someone smarter than me can tell me, tell you which points to which and all that. And I don't know, but all I know is like, I feel really good that my sermon, you know, whether it's good or not, that there's always going to be the table and the gospel is going to be preached every time we get around the table and people say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. So even if my sermon really falls short of what it should be, they hear the good news around the table. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, sorry, I got distracted by, uh, cause I just heard you say this on your podcast. <laughs> oh, that's weird. I'm, I'm struggling not to ask you questions. I know that this is your podcast, so I shouldn't take over and start no, interviewing. It's, him, it's totally, it's totally a good thing. It's a good thing to restate. Cause it, I, it, I just remember driving in my car, listening to that going, yeah, yeah. It's okay well, if my sermon sucks this week. Who was saying that? Did I say that? Or did you like, God, you I don't know. Him? I I just remember hearing that it was you no know, it was it was you just interviewed Jonathan Martin not too long ago I don't remember if you said yeah. it or he did but it was in that conversation oh yeah yeah I, we did talk about that that was a good one yeah there's a lot of conversations that that have been going on in my podcast talking about Eucharist and yeah. in 
like one of the shortcomings of my tradition is kind of its uh, seclusionary kind of setting within the rest of Christendom, like where we think we're the only ones. Right. And I obviously joked about that earlier, being the only ones going to heaven. But like one of the things I'm I'm learning and I'm getting to experience is like the wide variety of the church's appreciation of the table. And you see it with our Pentecostal friends like Jonathan Martin, who he is a great preacher too. And you hear it from, you know, the other side of the aisle where you hear our Catholic friends talking about it and you go, man, this is, this is a really beautiful thing that all of us gather around these tables and there is something that happens here that's life transforming. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, we take it every week too, cause we feel that same, that same impulse. Yeah. But well, didn't talk- you, did you grow up doing that though as a Christian yeah, church? Guy? Yeah, no. for sure. Yeah. Um, talk about, uh, Talk about how you plan, because you, you've told me that you sometimes you'll do something topical. You even mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. you know, your your series on prayer where you cheated and interviewed people who talk about that. <laughs> but then you, you've also told me that sometimes you'll go through textual. So how do you map out? Like how far in advance do you map out and how do you decide what you're going to preach on? You know, I'm at the place now where I feel like I need to go. I don't feel like I have to, but I just like this rhythm of doing text and then topical. And so I did prayer for eight weeks. And then I'm doing Exodus now, and I'll probably preach that through the the whole summer. And I I really like just opening up the Bible and saying, all right, okay, I'm going to preach these you know eight verses today, or you know this chapter, or whatever. But honestly, I really feel like most people don't like that. I really feel like most people like topical stuff better. And you and mean you mean by most people you mean the people sitting in the congregation, the people you're actually talking right. to. Yeah, like the people who your sermons really should be written for, like the people that are actually listening to them. And so I kind of just vacillate between those two. And what, so, I mean, why why do you feel that? Is that conversations you've had? Is that your instinct or f- the feeling I, you get as people I, respond? I feel like the feeling that people express to me when I'm doing topical stuff is uh, it, it's it's very much like, oh, this is great. And I did – let me tell you about the worst sermon series I ever did. I'm excited. I, okay. I <laughs> so I start write, doing this like writing project and it's like it's a it's a terrible book thing. It's never going to have anything happen to it probably. But it's really me taking like all the like tech stuff out of a sermon, just like cut that out and then I have like the like the Dr. Phil application stuff and the um, uh like the rest of the sermon like the the I I don't want to say pop psychology of it, but you know if you take the sermon like and you remove the Bible from it, the stuff that some people even never put out, put in there, unfortunately. And then I started writing that stuff together. And then I thought, you know, I wonder, like a year later, it's like, you know, I'm not going to do anything with this book. So let me preach some of it. And so I, I preach this stuff, which is all like the application and like, this is, you know, what it means for your life and the illustrations. And there's hardly like no Bible in it. And I preach it and people are like, Hey, that's your best series ever. I, like this, and multiple people in my church are like, I really loved it. That was the best series you've ever done. And I was like, guys, this is the worst series I've ever done because I don't have the Bible. Like the, and so I feel like as a pastor, and maybe not every pastor has this feeling, but like I really like talking about the Bible, and I get the sense that sometimes people don't have that same sort of appreciation for the text. And so I feel like as a pastor, like I want to tell the story of Scripture, and I want them to become biblically literate. But ultimately, those two things are secondary to the ultimate goal, which is spiritual formation. Because we don't preach the Bible, we preach Jesus. And Jesus is best revealed to us through the Bible, yes, but the ultimate goal is not biblical knowledge, it's for spiritual formation. And so if your goal is just preaching the Bible, then 
okay, just preach the Bible. But if your goal ultimately is what I think the Bible is pointing you to, it might require you to really think through exactly the best way to do that. Yeah. So how do you, I mean, do you, do you have any sort of tools, benchmarks, anything in place to help you evaluate? Are you accomplishing that? Cause it's, it is, it's really easy to, I mean, I'm thinking about this, we're doing Sermon on the Mount right now. Like it's really mm-hmm. easy to feel like I'm successful because people understand this text better, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I went through it, uh, yeah. people say, oh, I never saw it that way before. Yeah. And I feel really comfortable with that, you know, cause I, I have a teacher heart and I want people to understand the Bible, but you're, it's true. I mean, that doesn't necessarily in and of itself help them with the formation part of it. So what do you, how do you live with attention to those? Do you try to evaluate that somehow or benchmarks or what? Well, I don't think I'm smart enough to really evaluate that. So there's probably some, PhD student who can turn his dissertation to figuring that one out. But for me, I, I don't, I don't think I have like an actual rubric that I, that I look at stuff through. I, I feel like every Sunday I want to put something on the shelf that may be a little bit higher than what everyone else is going to reach up to. And so that the person who's hearing my sermon on Sunday in which I'm doing Exodus two, and I'm telling the story of, of Moses getting in the little, you know, floating down the river. Okay. And so I'm going to reference some PETA and stuff about ancient Near Eastern literature and how the Moses story is really like the same story that's told like some 30 other times in ancient Near Eastern literature. And the point of that is to say that Moses is a big deal and that this is a common story that they would all get back then. And so that – like I'll talk about that and illuminate the text. And so that will be, I think, helpful for some people who really want to go, oh, yeah, I never knew that about Exodus. But ultimately, like the real goal of what I'm trying to say is that this is a God who recreates things over and over again. And the story of creation, the story of life after the flood is something that happens over and over again. And so my real goal is for the person to leave, not going, I learned something about Exodus, but this is going to help me get through the week. And this is going to help me feel like when I feel like I'm disappointed and disillusioned from God because I feel like I'm abandoned, like the Israelites felt like when they were in captivity – that God is still there for me. Like that's really my ultimate goal, not just to get them to have the the Bible bowl answer of, you know, what's going on in the back of the text here. You know what I'm saying? First mention of Bible bowl in Sermon Smith history. Yes. Congratulations <laughs> me. Do I get an award for that? No. Because I think I think even though probably mostly preachers listen to this, I'm sure a lot of them just said, What is Bible bowl? What is Bible bowl? Yeah. Well, again, that's why I'm definitely going to heaven and you're not. <laughs> it's quiz bowl for the Bible people. Quiz bowl oh, okay. for the Bible. Yeah. Excuse me. Uh, and for heaven bound people. <laughs> well, what, uh, why don't you tell us? Well, let me, let me just ask this then. Do you feel like you're more comfortable doing topical versus text or text versus topical? I mean, you said you like doing text more. Have you, do you feel like you're more comfortable doing that just because it's confined or? Uh, I'm comfortable about doing text stuff because. You know, when it's every Wednesday when I start working on my text for, you know, three weeks out, I just sit down and read the Bible, open up some commentaries, pray, okay, what is like, what, what do I feel like is going on here? Like, that's really comfortable for me because that's like you're reading the Bible trying to find something to preach out of it. And that's comfortable. But if it's, okay, you're going to do a series on prayer. And then so you've got to outline, like, well, you know, what are the eight things I'm going to say in this eight part series? And like, that's, uh, I don't know. I feel like the it's like the the problem with being anti-liturgical is that you are tempted 
to just let your whims and your emotions guide you. And I think if you're just trying to pull series out of wherever you pull things out of, you don't have anything chaining you to a deeper, richer history. And so maybe you've got a book like that you're going to preach, like a literal, like someone wrote a book on prayer and that's what you're going to be your outline. Okay, well, that's nice, but I, I, I kind of feel like the Bible might be a little better template to kind of use as your outline for something. But again, like I said, I, I don't do that all the time. Yeah. So I'll come back to that when you, when you talk about your, cause you, you sent me ahead of time your rough answers to the questions that I told you that I'd probably be asking you. So, yes, I thought I had to write that out. Yeah. I was trying to be a nice guest, but it's very nice. Cause I, yeah, you know, you. I, I could preliminary prelim what you're going to say. Mm-hmm. Um, you're welcome. But <laughs> let's talk about your, let's talk about your timeline, which, Looks familiar to me. So I bet, really? I bet huh. you've had conversations with another Church of Christ connected pastor in Dallas huh. who has previously been on the podcast. But I, I can't think of anyone who fits that description. I don't know who you're talking about. Somebody, I think his name was Hayde Wadges. Yeah, I don't want to wade into that mess. But I no, I don't know what you're talking about. I made this up all on my own. No, no, no. So Wade Hodges, who's been on your show, who's also been on uh, my show multiple times, is uh, a good friend of mine and... Um, he has this uh, this routine that after doing a couple series with him, I got annoyed because when I would open the text on Tuesday morning, take Mondays off, he would have like this like half done sermon or like outline that was almost completed, and I was like, "How are you so so far ahead of me? I thought we we're working on this together." And he's like, "Oh, just you know, I just did a little bit before," and he never told me. Like literally, we've been friends for years. And he finally told me, oh, yeah, Luke, this is my process. And I was like, dude, you've been hiding this from me for years. No wonder you're always ahead of me on these projects that we're working on together. But ultimately, it's fine for me because he would just write the sermons and I wouldn't have <laughs> to write them. So it's not that bad. But uh, he eventually said, like, he, he had this, uh, you know, four-step process. And mine's three steps. Uh, and it's a it's a it's clearly a ripoff of his. But what I do um, every – well, let me start with Wednesday. So every Wednesday, I – Pick, like I, I typically have the outline for this is the series, this is the text I'm going to have the entire series. That's already mapped out a month before I start you do the that, series. You do that with topical as well, like you assign a text, uh, or I'll have like the theme for if okay, it's topical. Okay. Like I'll talk about you know whatever. Um, but the the theme or the text is already picked out before like a month before the series starts, and then Wednesday three weeks out. I do all my text work, and so I'll read the commentaries. I'll uh, you know I'll spend my time personally reading through the text and then I'll come up with, this is probably the one point I want to make from the text. And so that's Wednesday. Then you fast forward to the following Thursday. So it's, you know, eight days later Mm -hmm. in case you can't count how many days are in a week. I did that for you. Thank you. Um, Then I try to take that and then I try to create an outline. And so I'm going from maybe, you know, 35% done the Wednesday. And then you fast forward to the second week when I'm working on Thursday and I try to get to about 60%. And so my whole goal is, Tuesday morning when I get to work, when I open up my computer and I start writing the sermon for that Sunday, I've already got the majority of it done. And so Tuesday, theoretically, I have my sermon done for the following Sunday before noon, you know, theoretically 1030 or something like that. And then the Friday of that week, I come back through, I read it one more time, I polish it out, and then I just have to memorize it over the weekend. And so my, if, if you're looking at a week by week, it's you know Tuesday morning, I finished the sermon for that Sunday. 
Wednesday, I start working on the sermon for three weeks out. Thursday, I work on the sermon for two weeks out, creating an outline for it. And Friday, I'm finishing the sermon for that Sunday. Like, I'm skimming it for that Sunday. Yeah. Well, so let me, I like to get nerdy. So let's. Wait, I, was that not nerdy enough? Can no, no, no. I'm going to get that? nerdier. Because that, oh, that was like nerdy at 30,000 feet. I'm going to take us down to the ground. Oh, jeez. Do people listen to this? Because that sounds, I, I don't know if I people can. I, I I bored myself just talking. Right? Yeah, I, I listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> this is all for me and anybody else who comes along. That's just great. So wait, that's my podcast is for. It's just for me. <laughs> exactly. Too. All right, all right. Let's nerd it out. So talk about Wednesday then. Talk about what you do when mm-hmm. you say you get the text work done. You read the commentaries. Mm-hmm. Do you do do word studies, or you just you'll pick out the commentaries you're comfortable with? Are yeah. you a are you a bookshelf guy or a Bible software guy? A bookshelf, like the Lord intended. Um, yeah, I don't do the computer so stuff. So Church of Christ. I know, I know. Because, like, again, in heaven, your name is not written on, like, a tablet. It's, like, a book. That's what it says, Book of Life. No, uh, I do books, so I'll, for, okay, let's say the Exodus series. Uh, funny thing enough, there's a guy named Pete Enns who's uh, been on my podcast three or four times. and He's, he's a troublemaker. He's a troublemaker. <laughs> he's written a bunch of stuff. He's an Old Testament guy. I think it... Um, you know, Old Testament, that's his thing. And so I emailed him, said, hey, do you know any good commentaries on Exodus? And before I get him to respond, I sent an email out to a bunch of my preacher friends and said, hey, what commentary should I be reading? And the one I hear repeatedly is Pete N's commentary in the NIV application series. Mm. I was like, oh, Pete has a commentary on that. Oops. Mm. My bad. So uh, so for this Exodus one, I'm using uh, Pete's, uh, Pete N's one with NIV application, mm-hmm. the uh, JPS, the Jewish publication. Yeah. I think whatever I'm turning around like on my shelf. Um, JPS Torah commentary, I think. Ex- wow. Nerded out. You got it. Man, I can go um, there. Uh, I'm a big fan of the interpretation series as a general rule of thumb. And so I'll typically have two, maybe three commentaries that I pick beforehand. And so I'll read through those and then I'll have the old um, New Oxford annotated NRSV that I read. Yeah. And that's that's gets me started. And you're just scratching notes as you go. Obviously not, obviously on an actual piece of paper, not no, no. into your computer. <laughs> no, okay, real talk. I, I, I write in the book while I'm reading it. I underline, I write ideas, and then I go and type that into my computer. Yeah. And so I usually have a couple pages of notes from the commentaries that I have at the end of Wednesday. So, but, so backtracking then, because that's textual. How, how does that process look when it's a topical? Uh, so when, so let's do the, the prayer series was the last one I did. I had probably 10 pages of notes from different books or quotes from podcasts or ideas that I had just been accumulating. And the goal for a topical series was to create like the, the eight out, like the eight subheadings for, for the sermons that I would do. And then I would start to take the quotes or things I really wanted to communicate and allocate them into the right uh, the right week. Got it. Yeah. So you're just always working on it, and then it's a matter of pulling yeah. it together. Yeah. Yes. It's it's like every day. So, and we'll come back to that too. We'll get nerdy there. So eight days later. This is outstanding. Like I really can nerd out on this one, and this is I never get to talk about this. So thank you so much. Yeah. Well, see, here's how this started is because I do like this stuff, and anytime I talk to my preacher friends, I was always asking them, mm-hmm. and some of them. Some of them just weren't even interested really in talking about it, but occasionally, 
I'd have a conversation and it'd just become this like, it'd become a nerd fest, you know, and we'd really get into talking about how we do. And I love this stuff. So uh, I just realized I need to start recording these. Um, I I love that. Yeah. yeah. Right on. So, so eight days later, the Mm -hmm. outline process, I mean, what does that outline look like at the end? Is it pretty detailed outline? In a, okay. Is it a Word document that you've just it's got? A word, it's a Word document. Yeah. And uh, wow, this is, I feel like like behind the curtain. Kind I'm of going stuff. there. I'm it's going fun. there. Th- this is great. Um, so on Wednesday, I usually will have two, at least two pages on a topical, or excuse me, on a textual series. I'll have two pages of notes. And then with, I'll leave with kind of like three like points of like, these are three directions I want to go. And... That's what I look at when I get to my desk on Thursday. And then the goal is let's flush these out. Let's take some of the, um, the notes that you have throughout the, like the document, two or three pages, and then put those into the head, the headings for each move and figure out like what the main point is going to be and then kind of build the, the narrative of the sermon around that one point. Yeah. And that's, and so, that'll take Thursday morning. Yeah, that's that's uh, yeah, that's Thursday morning. Okay, and so then you come back the following Tuesday, and, and then you manuscript. Is, uh, it's um, it's I have a if it's just like a normal the normal settings of a page, it's probably five pages of a word document that is is my conclusion. Like this is the the final product, and on on. Tuesday, like I'm filling in all the, the, the illustrations, the, the anecdotes, the application. And that document has been opened multiple times between Wednesday, Thursday, and the following Tuesday because those ideas are just popping in my head the whole time. And so I'm writing them down because I feel like once your brain starts something, it wants to go to completion. Like I think there's a theory about why bad songs get stuck in your head. You know, like it's never yeah. like the song you really want. It's always uh, – like uh, that uh, Call Me Maybe song. Like that's the one that gets stuck in your head. And the, one of the theories behind that is that if that song comes on the radio, maybe you like that, John, and, and that's cool if you do. I have no problem with, with pop music. but I, I'm not even sure what song that is. So. Okay, good. good. <laughs> it's, well, not, just... it's not sticking in my head. Okay, so you have some song on the, that comes on the radio. You don't like it, so what my do you My daughter's do? dance recital last weekend. Let yeah, me tell exactly. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How old's your daughter? Well, there was the Friday night recital for my nine-year-old daughter and the Saturday afternoon recital for my 13-year-old daughter. So there were there were lots of songs trying to get their way into my head. Lots of them. Well, usually, like, if a song comes on the radio, you change the station if you don't like it. But that song is one that gets stuck in your head because you don't hear the whole thing. And so one of the theories is the reason it gets stuck in your head is because your brain never got to complete that song and somehow it knows that. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I know it's an interesting illustration. And it works with sermons. Like, if if in my head I know that I've got this sermon that I'm going to preach, well, I, I want to finish it, and the brain's going to be working on this whole time, even if I'm not in front of my computer looking at it. Yeah, for sure. And so I'm just popping in and out, throwing ideas in there. And uh, and your brain can work on three at a time, you feel like. Well, honestly, the best part about it is that it doesn't, because you've got – okay, so there's three sermons in my head, and then there's probably a podcast or two that I'm working on as well. And what I really like is I get to my computer on Tuesday – I've got two or three pages of notes, but it looks fresh to me. Like I've, I've distanced myself, even though my brain's been working on it, theoretically. I look at it and go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about on Sunday. And so I have a fresh take to look at it. And so I kind of see things that 
I probably would have missed if I'm just looking at Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday morning, four days straight because there's no room for your brain to breathe. And so I look at it fresh and some of those ideas pop in and, and kind of make the, the sermon process, the writing process easier for me because I don't have the brain fatigue from staring at the same idea as yeah. much. Yeah, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then I see in the stuff that you sent me ahead of time that by – I guess it looks like Sunday morning, you take this big chunk of sermon that you had, you said, mm-hmm. you say four pages of notes. I don't know if it's that every time, but then you knock it yeah. down to 50 words on a half sheet. Yeah. I do. Well, it's four pages because I changed the margins and write all the way to the end of the pages. Yeah. For, but so I print that off on Friday. Like I'm done after I scan, I print that off and then I read it. Uh, I go through it Saturday night. I go through it Sunday morning and then I usually go up to the church and pull a trailer and unload it and set up. And then, you know, 30 minutes before church, I get a half sheet of paper and then I write out, you know, 50 words and that's what I take on the stage. Yeah. And so the goal is that I don't look at that ever, but it's, you know, if you re- skimmed it Friday morning, you rehearse it Saturday night, you rehearse it Sunday morning, and then you write down some like the main ideas, that's like four or five times. And so theoretically, that's all going to be in your brain. And so I don't hopefully have to look at it, but maybe once or twice a sermon. And then if you have any quotes or the text is on the screen or something like that, usually? Yeah, text yeah. is on the screen. And uh, if I don't have the quote memorized, then I have it on the on the screen as well. Right, right. Uh, nice. So let's, Thank you. Let's talk, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's talk more then about this, because this is another part I, I can get really nerdy about. This whole process of you're working on a sermon, but it's always kind of incubating, right? Like it's mm-hmm. always rolling around in your head because you were working on it thursday and then tuesday's coming and then an idea Mm -hmm. comes to you but you're sitting on the couch watching dancing with the stars with your wife or Mm -hmm. your i don't know you're you're out by the grill Mm -hmm. out grilling something comes up and then i get i get my phone out email to myself (laughs) and then and it's did you say that's sad no i said yes oh okay yeah i just email i know evernote is something i should use but emailing works good and it's I just put in you know, sermon or sermon one or whatever sermon it is, and then I uh, leave it as unread until I get to my computer, and I can get that little number off the Outlook box or whatever that mail server is, and uh, put that into my notes, and there it is. And so you, you just remember you have sermon brilliance waiting for you. I, it, well, I don't know if it's brilliance. I've never called it brilliant, but it is definitely sermon idea. So how often do you go to your inbox and you read something from when you were out grilling and go, what was I thinking Oh, yeah. I That's like the worst thing is because you, you see something you wrote down. And I have terrible handwriting. So even if I write it on my dry erase board or if I email it to myself, it's clearly very shorthand. And few things are as frustrating when I don't fully write out my entire thought. And so I'd, I've learned to be a little bit more um, loquacious with my notes after a few of those that I didn't really get. <laughs> yes. Well, nice. Okay. So that's uh, – and you talked about – you preach probably like 40, 40 to no, no, 46 no. times a year. You yeah, say. yeah, yeah. No, I'm not asking. Like I'm not 45 say, minutes. I'm not saying minutes. No, I can't do that. <laughs> so are there uh, – I mean one of the things I like to ask from time to time, are there other people that are within your church that preach or what do you do on those other Sundays? We've got a couple people uh, just recently who've gotten connected with our church who can preach. And so we get them in there and obviously um, – you know, I live in Dallas and so there's – there are preachers around that I can call on to come preach for our church as well. Yeah. 
So it's, I, I didn't, part of the reason I asked is I didn't know if you had opportunities even to try to develop other preachers within your church where you try to work through any of these systems or, or nothing like that at this stage. Yeah, no, I've got two guys who are uh, former pastors at other churches that still are you know, pastoral. And so I, uh, I do some sermon prep with them. We've, uh, during, um, during my last series, we get together on Wednesday night and work on sermons together. And that's kind of fallen off in the summertime, but, uh, we would, we would basically do my Wednesday, like the very first text work together and work on the sermons. And so that was, that was a lot of fun. And hopefully when the school year picks up again, we'll continue to do that. Cause that's, and that's people uh, in your church you're doing that yeah, with? Or, okay. Yeah, in my church. Yeah, two guys you, who both have uh, – they're both working on master's degrees at uh, – once at Pentecostal Theological Seminary and once through Fuller. Got it. Because you alluded to even doing something like that with Wade. Is that an occasional thing or something you guys do often? Uh, Wade and I have done that a handful of times. I haven't done anything like that with him recently, but I definitely uh, think it's a great idea. And, yeah, I, I think it's awesome. Yeah. So uh, – Talk about then what I, what we teased earlier, and you might have already said all there is to say about it, but you talked about how you sometimes, when you know you're going to be preaching on something, you'll go out of your way to schedule podcast guests. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that, that, that just because you're planning far enough in advance that you go, I'm going to talk about prayer, so I'm going to make sure I get these guys on to talk about prayer and hear what they have to say? Yeah, that's exactly what there's a whole not not a whole lot more to say and to that. But... You're scrolling. So we can actually get a sneak peek at what sermons are going to be coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had I had Pete Enns on this uh I think I posted it last just a few days ago. I don't know when you're gonna air this podcast, but I had recorded with Pete a couple of weeks before I started the series on Exodus, and he's the commentary guy that I was reading. And the podcast really didn't even talk a whole lot about Exodus. But uh yeah, that's if 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 you're an astute listener to the uh, the old podcast, you can hear what I'm gonna be saying in my sermons. Yeah. I I like the idea of communal discernment to some degree with yeah, some yeah. sermons. I think it, it, it just makes it better to have the conversation with multiple people before you get on Sunday morning and say it on the stage. And that's, as a church planner, being the only person on staff at my church, these are ways for me to create that. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, besides your kids having to hear your sermon over and over that way. Too. <laughs> what do you think about this, honey? Yeah, um, they don't they don't listen to anything I do. Well, well, we'll start winding down here, but are there other, I mean, you talked about some of your favorite resources from this Exodus series. Are there other favorite go-to commentary series you have or just books that you feel like have really been helpful for shaping how you preach or, or how you do sermon prep? Well, commentaries, uh, you know, I like interpretation. I think I said that. Yeah. The, the ones I mentioned, I, I typically go to those word commentary as well. Uh, obviously each book is different. Uh, in terms of each book of the Bible has different commentaries that I think are probably better than others. But, um, have you ever seen the best commentaries website by your fellow Dallasite, John Dyer? Uh, no, no, I haven't checked that out. It's pretty it's, nifty actually. I, I don't think I've ever mentioned it before, but I was just looking at it the other day. And it really is good. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, he basically made a crowdsource website where anybody can come on and rank, you know, rate the commentaries they have. So you can see the general, Really, consensus of what people like, you know, if you say, show me commentaries for Exodus, what people think about the word one and the, you know, really? Nikot one. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Oh, I need to check that out. That sounds brilliant. Anyway, sorry, I, because I, it just came to mind as you were answering another question and I totally jumped in and interrupted. Dude, I interrupt people all the time <laughs> on my podcast, so I have no problem with that at all. So I'll, I'll need to check that out myself. All right. So uh, that was commentaries. The books, honestly, I have not 
read a book on preaching since I was in a homiletics class in college. And I know that's probably really bad. But why do, I why do you think that is? Hmm, I think there's a lot of preachers that people really like who do nothing at all of what anyone who actually studies homiletics would suggest. And I think like Barbara Brown Taylor, one of the most well-respected preachers in the world. Not a whole lot of people are downloading her podcast. You know what I'm saying? I think Barbara Brown Taylor is great. I've talked to her twice and I wish more people knew her work, but I think people like, um, I don't know how to say this well. I think one of the things that uh, Rob Bell does, and I know some of your listeners might not like Rob Bell and that's fine. Um, Again, they probably won't be with me in heaven if they think that, but that's okay. <laughs> no, uh, but one of the things I think he does that people don't get is that he has a deep theological base that he's interacting with. And to most people, it comes across as really simple because he has found a way to not just have simplicity where you don't know things, but you can engage in the complexity, but you can come out on the other side and still make it accessible to people in a simple way. And I think... A lot of people don't really regulate the quality of preaching based on its content, but the confidence of the speaker. And so if you sound really confident and if you talk really clear and you seem like you believe what you say, then that comes across as being a good speaker. And I think some of the interest people put in homiletics um, doesn't really always connect with people. Hmm. So... Yeah, I'm a big fan of stand-up com- comedy, and I think, and I'm not someone who doesn't do like higher education. Like I've got an MDiv, and you know, I I try to engage in serious theological inquiry and to read serious books. Um, but I don't know. I, I, maybe I've just read too many when I was in school or or whatnot. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. I mean, it, it there is a danger of it becoming so much of a method that feels disconnected from. Mm-hmm. day-to-day life that people experience. And so rather than our challenge and our task is, what does it mean to homiletesticize? I'm trying to make up a word. That's a great word. Um, okay, here's like here's one of the issues. Like, I don't know what your stance is on women preaching. Um, I, I am for women preaching. Uh, one of the issues that I've experienced with a handful of women preachers that I'm friends with is that most women preachers come out of a very educated environment. Most women preachers that I know have been trained in the academy, but they don't get the reps. This is completely sexist, what I'm saying. Um, but this is my experience. Like, y- you don't, ha- my friends who are female preachers that I went to school with, they didn't have an opportunity to go preach every Sunday when they were 19, like I did. I preached three years at a little country church hmm. from the time I was 19 till I was 21. And these people loved me and heard some really bad sermons. And they heard me grappling with, like, seminary level questions in my sermons that I didn't really have any reason to be talking about, but I was able to start working through them. And then when I got out of seminary, after I preached my college thing, so I'm, I finished seminary with an MDiv and five years of preaching pretty much every Sunday. And I don't think, I don't think our young ladies have that same opportunity. And so you have to work through, I think a lot of your grad school experience and learn how to separate the, you know, the, the meat and the bones so that you can communicate to normal people again. Yeah. And if you don't have those reps, you never, you never realize that. And so 
I think the academy can teach you a lot of really good things, but if you look at a lot of the best preachers in terms of the people that people listen to the most, they're not doing what you learn in the academy in terms of how to preach. It's a different style of preaching that most people are receptive to. And if you don't have the opportunity to learn that, I don't think whatever good message you might have will be as well received. I can go with that. Okay. Yeah. I can get behind that. All right. Um, Talk about, uh, just talk a little bit. I mean, we've teased it a lot and it's certainly come up, but is there anything else you'd want to say about your podcast? Just for somebody who might not have heard Newsworthy with Norsworthy. (laughs) Uh, It's a podcast I do. You should check it out. That's all I got. All right. I mean, I think we've, I think we've broached it enough here and there that somebody can get a feel for the kinds of things you do. Yeah. You have been very generous in cross pollinating our podcast (laughs) and I hope to do the same. Cross the podcast streams. Um, uh, where, where can somebody find you if they want to keep up with your church or what you're up to? Not, not not physically. Like I don't don't want want them knocking on your door the day I publish this. I don't want that. I do not want that at all. But online, online. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, LukeNorrisworthy.com is my website. Uh, at Luke Norrisworthy is my Twitter handle. And you can find Newsworthy Norrisworthy on Facebook. At Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Just go, put that in Facebook. You'll find it. And your podcast is, uh, your podcast is available from your personal website. It's not Newsworthy with Norrisworthy.com. Just Luke Norrisworthy. Yeah. Yeah. It's also on the old iTunes. You can check it out there. Yeah. And, uh, name of your church. I don't know that we ever covered that. It is the Venture Community. VentureCommunity.org. Venture it's in, uh, South, De- it's actually in Corinth and which is just Southeast of Denton, Texas, a suburb of the great city of Dallas, Texas. Got it. Well, Luke, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's been a yeah, pleasure. I really appreciate you letting you me on. nerding out. Yeah, man. I, I mean, we, I could have done it more, but I figured, you know, we'll give everybody a little bit of a break from my nerdiness. Hey, and this was a blast for me to get a talk instead of ask questions. Yeah. I feel like I feel very narcissistic just talking about myself the whole time, but I guess that's what uh, people do on my show, too. That's what it's like on the other side. I know. It's great. So thanks yeah. for doing all the work and carrying the conversation. <laughs> you carried it. All I did was move it. Perfect. Right on, man. Thanks, Luke. Blessings. Thank you again, friends, for listening. I always appreciate hearing some of your feedback and some of your comments uh, via Twitter, email, leaving comments on the show. It's fun to hear what kinds of things some of you are learning or wrestling with as you've listened to these. Show notes for this one, as always, can be found at sermonsmith.com. And this one in particular is backslash Luke-Norsworthy. You can also find us on Twitter at Sermonsmith, on Facebook. Just do a search for Sermonsmith. And of course, always, always, always thankful if you are willing to go and take some time to leave a review on iTunes. Thanks so much.